0: Five, four, three, two, one. Coming up on the payoff, Tim Brooks had it all. He was one of the nation's top high school lacrosse recruits from a great family, living in one of America's most affluent suburbs. But alcoholism and addiction stepped in and did its thing. When Tim showed up on Good Morning America in the spring of 2014, it wasn't because he'd won that college lacrosse title. It was because he was likely headed to prison. Tim was allegedly the number two man in a drug ring whose takedown made national headlines. Seven years sober. Tim looks back and talks about the wild ride. We're talking about time in jail, going deep into recovery to find the solution, and eventually winning that lacrosse title in sobriety. Now Tim runs recovery houses outside of Philadelphia, and I can speak from personal experience. I have seen these homes make a difference in the lives of young people trying to get sober. Listen, Oprah wanted to talk to Tim. Dr. Phil wanted to talk to Tim. He came to the payoff. You guys are really going to enjoy this. But first, my man, Kevin Souza. Stand by the ocean floor. Tim Brooks. I was telling Mike, uh, the producer here, that uh, you know he can buckle up for the next hour or so because this is uh, this is one hell of a story. First, I want to start with your sobriety date,
1: March first of uh, twenty fourteen.
0: So that's about seven. I guess seven years.
1: Yeah, it'll be seven years if I can make it a week.
0: What was your last day like using?
1: Um, yeah, you know, it's, that's a good question. A, a detective asked me that question the first day I had sober, or the the last day too, which was, um, uh, I was, I was 18 years old. Um, By the
0: way, you said the detective asked you that question.
1: Yeah. The detective asked me that question that late, late that night. And, um, he, uh, you know, woke up, I had an internship working at a hedge fund, so I, I threw on a fancy outfit. It was a Friday, spent eight hours kind of probably, you know, searching for, things that that business would not want me to search for on the internet while I pretended to work. Um, and and then I went to like a parking lot and I got high with one of my buddies. And I remember like being in this parking lot. And, uh, you know, I grew up in right outside Philadelphia in an affluent area. And we were on a college campus in this minivan that was like green with a white door, like rolled into the parking lot. It just like didn't look right. And I remember like just, uh, just being like, let's get out of here. This doesn't feel right anyway you know 9 p.m rolls around i got five detectives in my kitchen and the, the party's over right i get totally busted for selling a bunch of weed and parents exposed and i remember a, my a family friend had a friend that was a lawyer came over and he walked in the living room after I, this was like a, a two-hour stalemate of no conversations and the lawyer like he's like shaking hands with these detectives like he already knows who they are calling them by name asking about the kids and he pulls me into like the side room and he's and he's like timmy these detectives are the kind of guys that I usually see down at the port in Philly busting like multi million dollar heroin deals. It really doesn't make sense why they're in your living room. You should probably just get honest. Um and and that was really the beginning of it all.
0: You obviously started your sobriety abruptly started started that day. But take us, you know, you mentioned the detectives, you mentioned the investigation. We'll get to your, your addiction and your sobriety, but just take people through exactly what you're talking about there. Exactly what happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I was selling a lot of weed, right. And, and, um, big, big fat for sale sign on it, but I was, I was doing it in a really kind of secretive way. I, I had, uh, you know, early, early that, um, that was in last day of February. Right. So that, that fall, fall of, I guess, 2013, I don't know, 2014. Um, I, uh, I basically dry, I dropped out of college. I went to Richmond. Dropped you out went of college, to Richmond. You, you were you were
0: an outstanding lacrosse player.
1: Yeah, some would say I I had some good days. <laughs> you um, went to the
0: Havford School, and- a, a real high profile lacrosse program. There, a high profile school to begin with, outside of Philadelphia. You you achieved great success there, and then you're going to Richmond. I went to Richmond too, so this was going to be their first. I think their first class, right?
1: Yeah, I was their first like recruit for Division One, and and. Um, yeah, lacrosse is my life, right? It still is a part of my life, but way at, back then it was my identity and success in it, and having things to point at, and and being that guy, and coaching little kids. It was it was everything to me, and so I went off to Richmond and and quickly dropped out, which was no nothing more than just a symptom of being a total uh, booze hound and not being able to balance the responsibilities of being a Division One athlete, but really pulling the finger at injury and depression and all of these things that weren't addiction, really, right? That a lot of us end up doing,
0: and people hey, um, and people buy into that because you've built up credibility through your athletic career and just being a student. I, I would guess that's my experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly, I, I was, I was, um, I was motivated not to do the right thing, but I was motivated to make people think I was a person that was doing the right thing, and I tr- I achieved that by having material things that I could point to and by lying about who I was. And examples could be good grades, um, internship opportunities, college scholarships, girlfriends, uh, friends, um, parents of fifth graders wanting me to babysit their kids. And then behind the scenes, I I pushed really hard to get tuned up with my buddies and have what I thought was fun that quickly turned into this chase that never ended in anything other than uh, feeling like it wasn't enough.
0: And so the chase for the police ends that day in your living room, or you call it a somewhat chase. They've been following you for a short period of time. You come back from Richmond in the fall of 2017. You start to deal drugs, and it didn't, it didn't last that long. I mean, for those of you who don't know, which is probably a lot of people, if you're listening around the country, to refresh your memory or, or just to let you in on something. Tim, I remember you and I, I had been sober a little bit, and we were kind of in the same circle. And I'm down in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I'm living at the time, and you pop up on Good Morning America, doing a perp walk. <laughs>
1: yeah I did so yeah so I you know I I left Richmond in uh in September of 2013 and then in February of 2014 I got arrested and like a couple weeks later I was all over every news station you could think of it was pretty wild right it was like Dr. Phil and Oprah leaving answering machines on my on my phone asking for interviews and uh it was rough right news news cameras at the end of my street at the time I had already like been a part of a structured recovery program for a couple of weeks and i was trying to take direction and um those two worlds i had i had been living like the one the person i actually was and this the perception i had created for other people to believe like they they clashed in in an instant uh through the media outlet and uh how the hell did you manage that
0: you're 19 years old or 18 or 19 years old
1: i had like 42 days of sobriety and this
0: and, and this hits
1: and this hit yeah so i got a group of people in my life saying like go to go to a meeting every day be open and honest like don't manipulate don't lie don't hang out with your old friends like get a job go exercise i get all this direction which is counterintuitive which is exactly what i don't want to do and then i have you know a big legal consequence coming that i didn't know what it was going to be and then all of a sudden the media hits and i just felt i felt crippled right like i was there was a huge part of me that was like so embarrassed and ashamed of who I actually was. And I remember like being at a grocery store and like running into a mother of like a first grader that at my high school that I had like, that had invited me to her house on his birthday to be like the guest appearance for his birthday party. And, and I couldn't even look at her. Like I just, I couldn't look at her. Um, And, uh, and that was what, and I knew that like, like as badly as I wanted to drink and get high, I, i knew i couldn't i knew that if i did that it would make my legal consequences so bad so i kind of just did everything else like i was i was not i was not humble i was not friendly i was not happy like i took computers and threw them through windows i i beat the hell out of my bedroom with like my dad's favorite golf club when he wanted me to do yard work like i was i was an angry person in early recovery
0: but you didn't drink and you didn't use
1: i didn't yeah i don't know how that didn't happen but um I didn't.
0: How were you able to find that gear? Or when were you able to find that gear where you were able to articulate what you were feeling emotionally? Because for me, I was talking to another alcoholic and addict just yesterday, a guy who was, you know, getting sober. And I said, the moment that you actually are vulnerable with another dude in AA, right, which is counterintuitive, like you said, um, the moment you can reveal that, that's when the magic starts to happen. How long did it take for you? You mentioned 42 days. This media circus is outside of your house were you able to at that point open up to people or did it take a little bit
1: um i was pretty open off, off the rip right and and my understanding of that is like um when i when i was told like i needed to be a sober person for now i wasn't i didn't want to be sober i didn't want to do the next right thing i didn't want um i didn't want any of it but i i knew that i that really like not so much my drinking and drugging but the way i was treating people the lying and the manipulating had i i looked at that as the root of the consequences i was facing and i and i honestly wanted to try to work away from that I, I was never committed to a life of sobriety i just kind of approached it like hey this is something i have to do now when i get through my legal stuff i'll revisit um and and then i would say the best thing one of the best things that happened to me is like i have a family member that's in long-term recovery and that person connected me with like you know people like you like seven guys that were in recovery that made it look attractive that had a lot of good things going in their lives. And I went to coffee and lunch with them and and they, um, everyone said the same thing. They said, hey, this is what I did. And if you do it, it could work for you too. And they said, the number one thing is that if you want these people to be able to help you, you have to be 100% honest. Um, and that and that kind of struck me and still stays true to me today relative to like those relationships and, and how, it, how it works to like overcome tough times and, and find a better path.
0: And it is tough. You know, you got sober at a young age and you work with with young guys that get sober at a young age, or a, a lot of whom are trying to get sober at a young age. And it's difficult. And I remember being around some of your experiences. I remember myself and Peter F., who I've talked about on this this podcast before, who he got sober when he was like 18. I remember we went with you to Campus Corner uh, by, by Villanova, and then we went to see a movie, some action movie that wasn't that bad. And I think, you know, you were yeah. you were just kind of hanging on. I felt good hanging out with you, you know, and I was hoping like, Hopefully he's getting something out of this. And apparently maybe you kind of were because now I see you give it away freely. Like it's natural to you.
1: Yeah, man. I, I remember that day we we hit the movies and, and did dinner. That was, that was special. And um, you know, those are, I think I'm a big believer that like this process of recovery is teachable and repeatable, but I think what it takes to like find the success that we're all hoping for is like, you gotta be all in. And, and if you're not all in, then then we find ourselves in the same miserable place we came from and like those little things um and and putting yourself out there and doing the right thing and and not letting a bad day turn into a bad week turning into a big mistake like those are the difference makers and i certainly make a lot of mistakes and there are periods in my last seven years where i certainly have not been all in um but i'm lucky to have like guys like you in my life that are willing to call me out on that shit and um and help get me get going in the right direction
0: you're dealing with this media storm, and now the court process starts, but you're staying sober. Take me through that whole situation, how that works out
1: so I ended up going to thirty day treatment, which was kind of like for optics, like at the time I had you know maybe a bunch of weeks of recovery in my pocket, and you know when you're going through it, you never know, but looking back, I was doing I was taking recommendations and but I got sent to treatment because my lawyer said that's probably what you should do, and I got a lot of value out of that, like learned a whole lot and and um and got out of there and i you know through this that whole process of early recovery I, I knew i was having i knew i had this legal case and what what really is not awesome about getting arrested is like there's no specific timeline it's all open-ended and so is it going to be six months is it going to be a year is it going to be two years how long is this case going to take um and it ended up being 11 months total which you didn't i didn't know and and so that whole 11 months for me was this. Just experience of um the case was was you know, eleven
0: months or the case and yeah okay.
1: Well the case ends at eleven months. Okay. Um so, you know, went through all, all the legal stuff and and in the in my in my life, you know, those eleven months were um the goal was like, you know, go through a twelve step program, um, be open and honest with a with a clinical team and get a job, like develop a routine, right? Like routine and structure is what, what helps me like be the best person i can be and that was so foreign to me before recovery came into my life um i just like to do things the way i like to do and and uh and so that kind of developed kudos to a lot of people to helping me i got a job working at a flower shop which i often joke is like the closest thing you can do to to selling weed um and uh and but when i showed up i was a charity case like I, i couldn't do anything and you know you point at a flower i'll tell you what it is now Um, and, uh, so that was kind of cool, interesting, weird, whatever. What was it like um, for you? Uh, You know,
0: you were a high profile. I just want to jump in. You're a high profile athlete. You're a guy who's making appearances at first graders, uh, birthday parties. And now you're working at a flower shop in the same town where you were all those things. How was that? How did that humility help you in sobriety?
1: it, It was essential. Right. And like, um, when I started, I probably thought to myself, like, this is above me and I don't know why I'm doing this. And, and by the time I finished it, I refl- upon reflection, it was exactly what I needed. Um, And, and it, you know, I, uh, it, it was essential, right. Little things like that, exercise, waking up, making my bed, you know, developing, uh, you know, spirituality in my life, all, all of those things were like giving back to other people that were in having a harder day than I was like all acts of like just trying to trying to not trying to resist those those choices I make that often like are what I think I need but take me to bad places.
0: You get done this trial and you get sentenced to jail.
1: Yeah, so my my best my attorney tried to negotiate with the with the the legal the district attorney and uh I think the best offer I was I offered I was offered was a 4 to 8 year um Deal. So if I wanted to take the four to eight, I could have just said, yeah, I'll take it and, and let, throw me on the bus. But we said no thanks. And we, you know, through all of the minutia of, of negotiating kind of got to a place where I showed up to a sentencing hearing where a judge was going to decide how long I was going to go for For And he had some guidelines that, that were about one to two years in, in prison. Um, And uh, and he had the flexibility to like go either way. He could He could basically give me probation up to like about three years, I think. Um, that was the setup going in.
0: And you're almost a year sober at this time.
1: Yeah, so I just celebrated 11 months right before that day.
0: And so you go to this, this, this. Uh, you're in front of this judge, and I know this backstory a little bit, and, and a bunch of guys from the program are there that day.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, so I showed up, big big courtroom, probably like 100 seats.
0: And it's a sentencing like, hearing uh, pretty much, right?
1: Sentencing hearing, yeah. And uh, there were over 100 people from from the recovery community came to support me. Right. And, and um I can't talk about what I've been through without giving that statement. Cause that's like, just kudos to people showing up. Um And, and I, I you know, what I often say is like, when I was getting tuned up, I had 30 friends that I thought were going to be like my boys for life. And, you know, we did everything together, school, athletics, hung out together. And, uh, you know, I went to a stancing hearing and a and hundred strangers that I had known for only a year came to support me and two of those 30 friends came. Um, so it really, it was, it was unbelievable.
0: But before I say, how how did it make you feel? So what, what happens with the sentence?
1: So a bunch of people go up and talk about the change I've been through and, and the whole strategy was like, don't take a guy that's doing the right thing and put him in an environment where it's hard to do the right thing, that environment being jail. And, um the judge, you know, there were, because of the media and the politics, I don't think there was really ever an opportunity, even if I he did think I was a unicorn to, to let me get off. So they ended up sentencing me to just about the guidelines, which were nine to twenty three months in jail, which was kind of a victory because it wasn't it was below the threshold of being sent to state prison, so I was gonna stay like within the county.
0: So do you go right to county jail from that sentencing here?
1: Yeah. So I remember, you know, the the my lawyer goes like, you know, can he say goodbye to his family and the judge is like during visitation and 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 they slap the jewelry on me and everyone's like good luck and I'm like thank you and I'm just kind of like game on um Where, where's so where's your well,
0: attitude now? at at that point like from a recovery standpoint like are you feeling like okay uh, if, if I continue to work the program I will be okay
1: yeah you know I, I going like I knew I was going to go and I was I had accepted mentally that I was going to go for two years and I had done I had done coffees and lunches with like people that did time that were in recovery and tried to learn a lot about it. By the way, and that's what
0: we do, right? I mean, if you ask your sponsor, or if I ask my sponsor, "Hey, I need help with this," he may not have the answer and experience himself, but he'll find you somebody who does.
1: Absolutely, that's right on. And so I had done that, and and um, and I was, you know, my sponsor said something like, uh, "He said, Timmy, this experience is going to change you." And, and that kind of freaked me out. And I was like, I don't really want it to change me. Like, And and um, and I was certainly like very committed to recovery and and staying sober through that experience. And I knew I was going to have like a five-year probation after, which means like if I went in and was a total nightmare, I I wouldn't have gotten out with what they call good time, which is basically like if you behave, which is a really low bar. Naturally, you get out a little early. Um, so I was still in this mode of like, I got to get through this thing sober, but I want to do it in like the best way possible.
0: What kind of recovery did you find uh when you were incarcerated?
1: Um very very little. <laughs> um which is it's I'm laughing cuz it's like it's it's actually really sad, right? Like um you know there's this whole pot, you know what I found honestly was like if I had to put a number to it, I think like 80% of the people I met in jail were struggling with some form of mental health or addiction and um and related to recovery like for me personally, I had routine, I had prayer, I had a telephone that I paid for and, and like a payphone. And, and then probably twice a week, there was a 12 step meeting um, where occasionally folks like you that were active in the community would like come in and I'd get to run into them. Um, But those meetings were not really real meetings because um, in the jail I was in, uh, if you think of a jail like a classroom and different, or a school and different classrooms don't get to interact with each other. When they host a, imagine they host a 12 step meeting like in the library, folks from different pods could go out. So really they used like, ironically, the 12 step meeting as a place to like sell and distribute contraband between blocks. Um, so it was a little bit of a, wow. of a, uh, a little bit of an oxymoron.
0: And so, that's unbelievable. So, that's all that's going on, and but you manage to get through, and and while you're finishing up this stint, you eventually find your lacrosse career again, or, or you start to you yeah, start so you start to work on going to school and reengaging l- lacrosse.
1: Yeah. So my last couple months, I was on the work release, where they they open up the door in the morning and they let you out and go to work, and then you come back at night, and they give you an option to like either drive yourself or if you have a car or take public transportation and I opted for public transport because you get uh, double travel time. And, um, and, and I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a fortunate lucky kid that came from a family where I had never been on public transportation really. And that was my first exposure. And, and, uh, and there was an advertisement on the bus for a college that was local called Cabrini university. And I, uh, my last, maybe in like late August, um, I threw in an application and the next day, while I'm at work, I get a call from the woman at admissions and she says, uh, is this Timmy Brooks? I say, yeah. She goes, did you accidentally mean to check the box that says you're a felon? And I'm like, no, man, no, man, that's not, that's not an accident. That is me. And, um, anyway, I went through a long process with them and they were willing to give me a shot. Um, so, you know, I, I went into jail the day after, uh, Malcolm Butler picked off Tom Brady when the, when the Patriots beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl and I, and I got out of jail uh the Wednesday before Thursday night football so I was there the entire NFL (laughs) offseason of 2014 which which sucks actually because there's apparently it's like a good you know jail's not a bad place to watch football and um
0: I've heard Michael Vick actually say that interview
1: yeah that's good nice
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have he says there's a lot of know-it-alls though
1: yeah yeah and so um so the day I got out I ended up you know I I missed like the first week of of class because I was still behind bars and um, got out. The next day, I was sitting in an accounting class.
0: Now, how much do you think that helped you? I mean, you help, you know, and we'll get into what you're doing now with with the recovery community and and having recovery homes. For me, I'm a product of long-term recovery, right? I went to a treatment center. I went to a halfway house, and I remember a guy told me, and I was hedging on going to this halfway house for another five months, and the guy was like, dude, it's a couple months for the rest of your life. And I showed up there, and Everything I had to do well I pretty much had like an itemized day, and that helped me beyond what I ever thought it would for you. How much did it help that you leave jail, you leave being incarcerated, and you go right to a schedule and I think college sports is really good for 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 a kid like me or maybe a kid like you. you got to be somewhere all the time
1: yeah it you know in the moment it was like it was hard to transition out of that environment and and go back into um like real life and and uh going into jail like i was really worried that i was going to have to live a manipulative deceptive life in to order survive. to get by to survive and that that was going to take over all of this work i had done to try to exit that way of living was there and, a lot like, of fear around that yeah a lot of fear and and um and there were certainly components like i told people in jail that i was from like a town three towns over that's more of a blue collar town and and I I uh you know you can't just be by yourself in there you gotta it's people always ask did you make friends I said no I didn't make friends but I was friendly with people like hey watch my you know ramen while I go to the bathroom that kind of friend and um and so getting out like there was a you know I remember like walking into the bathroom at this accounting class and just totally crying like just overwhelmed with emotion of of this whole experience and kind of feeling like I got through it it's okay but also like now what um because for me it, it had you know recovery to that point had always been like suck up early recovery and get through this miserable legal experience in jail and now that i was through it i was like i didn't i didn't really know like i never liked school before um before recovery like i always just felt like it was a prerequisite to hang out with my friends and play sports and um but i was kind of just willing to give it a shot so there were components of the structure that helped but there was also a part of me where I kind of felt like a hardcore beginner and having to get like replugged into a routine that was going to, that I was going to have willingness to follow.
0: As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The bacon ranch McCrispy available at participating McDonald's for a limited
1: time. How,
0: how dedicated were you or uh, talk to me about, I guess, how was the program situation like in your life at that time? When you when you go back, you go back. You're out of jail, and now you're you're in college. You know how important was it for you to get to get to meetings and be around other alcoholics?
1: Um, it, it was the most important thing than, than anything. I mean, before I went in, I went into jail. I was like two to three meetings a day kind of guy, and that was you know I don't life didn't get better; it just got less hard. And, and that was something that that allowed me some relief from the hard days that I was experiencing and um, when I got uh, when I got out of jail I I was it was partially intuitive to like re-engage in that process that I'd come to find like relief and and maybe small moments of peace in before
0: yeah I tell people sometimes I have smart feet you know what I mean like I just sometimes I just end up in those in those meetings and around those people. The idea about this podcast and talking recovery, it's not always unicorns and rainbows. And sometimes you just go to feel less worse or you work a program to exactly. feel less work. But, but, but you know, I, I got a buddy who you know named Clint who says feelings are like the weather. You can't control them and they change. And they always change. And they always, yeah, change. Say that. <laughs> and they always yeah. change, you know. And, but it's true. I've been telling myself that recently when I'll, I'll be walking down the hall at work and I'll feel like crap and I'll be like, just, you know, get to a meeting today at noon. Uh, and, get, and get through today, and, and, and tomorrow you'll feel completely different. And then the next day I'm walking down the hall, and I'm like, oh, yeah, remember yesterday when I told myself i feel different? I do feel completely different. And I didn't get drunk, and I didn't do anything crazy. Taking on that school of thought uh, is, is a big deal. So I want to get back to you. You're, you're in college. You're at Cabrini. And so you get a second lease on life, and you get a second lease on lacrosse too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I, I shot an email to the coach and said, hey, like, I'd love to try out for your team maybe we could get together and and cabrini is close community. to where
0: cabrini just interject cabrini is close to where you grew up this guy probably knows yeah, exactly who you are right
1: next to villanova university yeah he he knew who i was and, and he reached out and we had we met each week for two months and he kind of like vetted me to make sure he wasn't taking on like this cancer that the news the newspaper said i was and um and and he was willing to give me a second chance so i i went and met with the team and kind of relayed version of my experience to them and 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 i left the room and then the team voted um is this a guy that we're willing to accept into our group to give him a shot and and they did right and and i think for the first time since i had been in recovery like my whole experience at degree i i never you know relative to my teammates and coaches i never felt like anyone other than just another player on that team which was which was awesome it was really really cool
0: and that's kind of goes back to program stuff just to be a, a part of something. I was, listening to, I was listening to something yesterday and it's, you know, when you're an athlete, you, 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 get, you get a chance to win. Everybody's rowing in the same direction. And it's almost like recovery is almost the same way. You get to have small victories. Can you compare the two a little bit? I mean, with both of your experience, because that's gotta be awesome. You go back to school, you're a part of something. You know, you're winning games, you're losing games. The same thing in recovery. Yeah,
1: you know, I, I think part of like, even my personality, like when I was in high school, I, it was, the concept of like putting in hard work for for two or three opportunities to score a goal, like it wasn't foreign to me, right? Like you play a season of games, there's there's maybe 15 games, you're going to get to take 50 shots and you got to make them count. And all the practice you do is to prepare for those moments. And then recovery, there's a lot of similarities. You go to meetings, you get grounded, you develop relationships, you go through a proven process. And then there come these moments where the only thing between the difference, the the difference between you picking up and not picking up is your relationship with spirituality or or your, or your peers or your sponsor, your support system. And in those moments, you got to be strong. So I, I tried to channel like some of that logic of thinking into the recovery experience for me. And, and, and I think in, 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 as a result, like, because I felt like my life was getting better through recovery, it, it made it easier to also channel that experience that I had in recovery into my new experience in school and my new experience in lacrosse and, and all the above.
0: How were you when you got back out? How did you integrate into society from a standpoint of what, what, what were you feeling people were thinking or saying about you? Again, not that it's any of your business, but was there a feeling that, hey, this is, this is rough. People are looking at me like I'm, like I'm a convict or was it the opposite? Did you feel like, oh, everybody's giving me a second chance?
1: Um, you know, to this day, I still get told no, because of my past, like, banks don't want to do business with me. Uh Organizations say, you're not welcome here. And so that I think that'll always be a part of just because of the mistakes I made. And, and in many ways, like those are clear reminders that when I drink and drug, that's the way I treat people. And, and it's good for me to hear that stuff. Um, But there's, there've also been folks in my life that like are willing to give second chances. And I never gave it. I didn't give. To, you know, uh, I didn't give a crap about any of those people prior. Um, and, and I, I looked at life like I can, as long as I convince you that I'm worth a shot and you'll give it to me, I can do whatever I want with it. And now it's, um, because those people are willing to give me a second shot. Like I owe it to them. I owe it to, it to myself to, in the end, make sure they feel glad they did so. Um, so there's been probably a balance of both.
0: You can say shit here by the way. We we'll, we'll go PG-13 for you, all right? I can't like that. You felt
1: me? You felt me holding back?
0: <laughs> yeah. So you have you're in college uh, and then you get to succeed in sobriety. Like I mentioned, kind of a there's there's a winning feeling sometimes that can that can happen in sobriety when you engage uh, when you engage recovery and then you start to feel good inside the rooms and then you also start to feel good about success in small victories outside of it you don't win every day but sometimes you do you experienced winning on the field I think it was in your last year Cabrini you guys won a title right
1: we did yeah we won a national championship in in 2019 what the hell was that like special um it it was it was so cool right and and like I I remember it you know just to sum it up right like I remember being at like a, a diner when I had when I was counting days and and like counting days for people that don't know
0: it's like you first get sober and you've got hey a one day two day three day yeah
1: totally and and i was with a guy like you and and there was like a mini bar behind the register and i was like like i just kind of looked at who i was with and i said like how did how does that not get you going in the worst way possible and and his response was like he said you know one day there's going to be you're going to experience a feeling if you're lucky enough to stay on this path that's going to feel better than everything you've been chasing in that bottle um and and the whole lacrosse experience that i had at cabrini um on the good days was di- direct it was that right it was like like i had had successes but they were never genuine or authentic and and i it, there was always dishonesty and manipulation and and just bullshit within and, and this whole lacrosse experience was like the first thing um first like really big thing that i really really wanted right wanted since i was like five years old like going to going to the Lincoln Financial Field in Philly and seeing seeing people hold that trophy up and, and uh um, college final and four is part it. Yeah, yeah. And um so it was awesome. There were, there were some cool aspects of just my experience within that year of having an injury and going into that game, not thinking I was going to play. Ended up, you know, one of our starting attackers ended up breaking his ankle. Doctor told me like I wasn't even cleared. Coach comes up, says like do you want to go in? And I'm like, Absolutely and you know, didn't stretch, didn't get taped, like didn't think I was going to go in and played the whole game, scored the game winning goal. Like it was, you know, a lot of those people that were, uh, that were at that game were at my fancy hearing. Um, So it was, it was a really cool collection of just like all of the people in my life that had been there from the the good, the bad, the ugly, to the, to the recovery um, getting to share this, this really cool moment.
0: I got to ask this question. Has anybody ever contacted you about taking your story and and, and making it a movie or, or or a documentary or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I've gotten quite a few inquiries to do all sorts of crazy stuff, and um, you know, I often go to my network of people and say, "Hey, what do you think?" And and most of the feedback is like, "Story's not over yet. Like maybe there's a right time to do that." And but for now, like my my mindset on like the current stuff we have going on, and in providing experiences for guys to get better, and and building a family, and being trying to be a good husband, and all the above.
0: What was it like getting sober? Uh, At that at that young age. I mean, a lot of people I tried when I was 27. I didn't try very hard and I I, I wasn't ready. You know, it just wasn't my time. And and by the grace of God, eventually it was. It doesn't work out that way for everybody. You're, you know, at 19 years old, you're faced with this. Pretty much you've got to get sober or else. How was that?
1: I mean, so in my work, like we, we help a lot of young guys that in many ways were right where I was 17, 18, 19, 20. And you know, first I'll say like I have nothing to compare my experience to. So I, you know, there's a lot of older guys, not old guys, older guys that um, that say like you guys are so lucky. Like I wish I had done it when you were that, when I was that age. And and in the back of my head, I'm kind of like, I'm hurting just as bad as you're hurting now. Like I need this. And so wh- I don't have much to compare it to. But like you said, like I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I didn't really look at it like I had a choice. And, um, what, what I tell or try to help people grab onto is like, for me, for me, I didn't want sobriety recovery. I didn't want this life that I've been lucky to, to, to experience, but I did, I did want to not go to jail and, and through not wanting to go to jail, I was willing to do things that led to this amazing life. So conversations I have with younger guys is like, all right, what do you want? Like most, some people say, I want to go back to college in, in 16 months. Some people say. I just want my parents off my back. Some people say, I just I just want to not, you know, come from this miserable place of putting stuff in my body that I know I shouldn't. And and I look to try to channel like well well let's get motivated, you know, behind that and maybe try this process for eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve months. And and if you get tricked the way I do, I guarantee you'll you'll be happy. And if you try it and you give it your all and it's not for you, then then go out and try another way. No one's gonna try to stop you. People might say it's a bad idea. But no one, we can't control
0: anybody. We'll refund your misery uh, if you want to go back out there. You can knock yourself out, and, and 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 you don't you don't say it like, hey, like shame on you. It's like, look, that's what in in my experience personally, and seeing guys go in and out. I mean, that's what waits out there for you is, you know, if you're if you are in fact an alcoholic or an addict, it's it's kind of miserable when 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 you're being active. How did this experience affect your your family? You mentioned one day you're throwing a computer. Through a window, yeah. And the next day, you're winning the national championship. That's quite a ride for your parents. Yeah, there there was
1: many days between that had a whole lot of stuff. But um, you're spot on. Like my, I I put my parents and my brothers through uh, a lot of stuff that I that I hope no one ever has to experience. And um, you know, like people, some people say, like, do you have any regrets? And I and I say, no, I don't have regrets because I love my life today. But what what what's really hard is that like. The choices I made, they hurt the people I love the most. And, you know, mom didn't sleep for a year. Uh, uh, you know, dad basically put his career on pause. Um, younger brother, you know, showed up as a freshman at the high school that I graduated from where the day before I got arrested, it was it was pretty cool to be Timmy's older brother. And the day I got arrested, it became a loss that to want to be. And he was kind of right in a period of his life where he was beginning to, like, find his own identity older brother was in college and, and, you know, wanted nothing to do with me. And, and so it, it, um, you know, I've actually learned more in the last couple of years about the impact it had on my family than I did when I, you know, while I was going through the, the recovery process and, and all, all the above. Um, and, and so I, I certainly did a lot to them that, that wasn't fair to them, wasn't, wasn't what they deserved took time away from my brothers, that they deserve from my parents when my parents were focusing on my chaos and well, I'll everything. Well, st- so. I'll stop you
0: right there, though, because I can say from, and I'm just thinking about this as you go, you know, I have gotten to know your dad a little bit, and, and I do remember that experience hearing him. He was open about what he was going through, you know, the stuff you just said. But now when when I hear your dad say, you know, you'll get over it, and and, and he says it in a completely serene tone, and I can tell... I mean, and I know the guy's I, genuine. I know what he's been through, and he seems like he's wearing life like a loose shirt today. I mean, that helps me sometimes when I'm like, well, he, obviously he got through this 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 rough situation. I can get through it too. I've, I've literally witnessed it. So it's weird how in recovery, right, th- the, the hands just extend everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's special. It's really special. So I'm lucky to be in a better place with everyone in my family today, and relationships are just super well, cool. Well, and dude, and now, yeah, you're, yeah,
0: yeah. and now you're giving back.
1: Yeah, so when I, when I graduated college in 2019, I, I, um, you know, I, I kind of took a look at the treatment world and, you know, which is co- composed of like huge 30 day treatment centers. A lot of people call them rehabs and, and this whole world of transitional housing, um, of recovery houses, sober house, structured sober living. It seems like every town has a different name for what it is and, and all of these outpatient providers and kind of honed in on recovery housing, transitional living. And, and kind of came up with this perspective that I think I think it's a really cottaged industry. I think a lot of people set out to do a lot of good, and but despite um, good intentions, I hope they, they find themselves in positions where, in order to make ends meet, they stop making choices for the people that live inside, and they stop making choices for their business. Um, and it's created an industry where uh, people that are in their most vulnerable places in life, like where I was when I was leaving treatment, they get a 30-minute phone call with a guy that runs a house and a counselor saying, I think it's a good place. Um, and that's a huge problem, uh, a big enough problem that that I that I went out and found five guys in long-term recovery that were committed to solving that problem um, with me, and, and we put we put a couple bucks together, and, and we've been uh, we started a uh, business called Synergy Houses um, that offers safe structured sober living homes. One house that's really really cool for young adults, 18 to 35, 24 beds, 12,000 square feet, full-time staff. Like it is a it is a sober fraternity house of guys like right around uh young adult age kind of average age is 24 and we come in we go through we go through the 12 steps we do we have a lot of structure and routine within our day we we learn how to budget we learn how to we learn how to manage our lives and get jobs and 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 get through this first year of chaos and um and we get to do it while having a lot of fun a lot of fun throughout the way so um i'm lucky to have a really awesome team of of uh people in recovery that work alongside with me and and um and we've got some cool plans to try to get our foot in the door with some collegiate recovery stuff, and and really keep keep expanding opportunities for young guys that are looking to change their life. So it's um, good live in a live in a safe place.
0: It's called Synergy Recovery, and you you actually came to you yes. know I I have experience Synergy with,
1: Houses, yeah.
0: Synergy Houses, okay. Synergy Houses, yeah. I remember being in those shoes. I remember getting uh, done at Karen Treatment Center, and I've been there for thirty days, and it was really my first moment where. Uh, There were maybe a couple moments before that, but I started to follow suggestions. They were like, dude, you need to go somewhere else. At the time, I didn't have a job. I had somebody who I was dating who I probably shouldn't, who I definitely shouldn't have been dating. And I remember being like, you know what? You're right. Like, this thing's working. Let me continue on this pathway. But it was followed by a uh, 30-minute phone call from a guy. I mean, it was really, it happened really fast, dude. And the next Mm -hmm. thing you know, um, a check is being written and you're sitting down in a conference room at the new place you're gonna live. And for me, luckily, that experience worked out. Now, the, the place I lived um, is, has is since shut down. And I think there was from, you know, reportedly there was some stuff going on there, whatever. But you mentioned you and five guys are putting in for the right reasons. How are you, how is your system different?
1: I think, you know, no one has to reinvent the wheel, right? Like there's a process out there and I think it can be communicated in many different ways. One thing that I like about our process is that, um, you know, time to me, time can help, but it has not not a whole lot to do with like where we are along our process, right? But it's all about what we're doing with that time. So within our house, we have a we have a structured system where progression through um, doesn't come as a result of time in the house or time in recovery. It comes as a, as a result of the positive action we do. So what we get in is which what we is get huge, out.
0: which is huge, by the way, because you get into one of those places. Uh, this is my experience. And you're on the clock, dude. It's like, okay, I got 60 days. down. Yeah. I got, you know what I mean? I got 90 days down. I'm almost out of here. And it's like, and, and at some point, you know, you're looking at the front door and you're excited to get out there, but really you're still so early in recovery. You don't have any idea what's on the other side and the people around you, right? Your sponsor, counselors, usually, or hopefully the house manager, they really know where you are and what you're ready for. And uh, if you're in the right place, you continue to take their suggestions, which apparently you guys kind of work that way. You are you able to figure out where somebody is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was given a tip from a, a guy that's been in treatment, working in treatment for a long, long time. And he said something like, he said, you know, to me, the best places in this world, when they were designed, they were designed for a certain type of person, not just designed for anyone." And, uh, and that kind of hit me in like, well, who, who, how do we want to structure this? Who do we want to make it for? And so um there's a lot of great programs out there. And and I'm a big believer that like we, we have an awesome staff house process for like young adults, like failure launch um, people that have previous experience in recovery do well with us. Um, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's really, really cool. It's so cool to see people change and, and, you know, meet a guy on that first day you talked about, and then reflect back a couple of months later. Um, It's hard that not not everyone's willing to to take those suggestions and and embrace, Um, but uh, I feel totally grateful and lucky to be able to do what I do.
0: How important do you think the long-term recovery is as compared to, hey, I got this 18-year-old kid. He just went to rehab for 30 days. Now we're going to send him home uh, to mom and dad, you know?
1: Like the long-term treatment process. Yeah, is that what you're asking
0: yeah, about? yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean. You know, you get done rehab, you go to a you know yeah. an extended care, a halfway house. How how much how important do you think that is?
1: I, I think it it has a huge impact on where we go and how things evolve, and if not the most important thing, you know, all of the data backs up that staying uh, engaged in a continuum of care gives us the ability to be successful in this way that we all want. And at the end of the day, like everyone's just shooting to be happy. And there's many different ways to find it. Um, And uh, and so I I really think that, um, and even if the result of that time evolves into a relapse or a huge crisis, um, most guys say, you know, that is not lost time. I think the other thing that, that our system does is we overvalue our sobriety clock because you know somebody can spend a year doing a lot of great things and then reset that clock and that doesn't take away the lessons, the values, the the notoriety of the good things that were done within that period of time. So not just like, hey, that person's staying within a treatment treatment continuum, but they're they're having real life experiences and being taught tools and 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 staff and, and people that are trained to help or being are able to point out specific behaviors and, and tendencies that will teach teach these people that if if right now is not the time when you're willing to go all in. And one of our other friends says, like, you know, he's got a couple of chips left in his back pocket. And so if that's the guy we're trying to help, then maybe success won't come this time, but he'll be able to grab things from this period to in- incorporate into his next, once he learns that hard lesson, the way he's trying to learn it.
0: Clearly, you've got uh, the, the ability to to speak articulately and, and get a message across. You speak to you speak to teams and schools now, uh, is, is that right?
1: Yeah, so I haven't been able to do it since covid but um you know my my uh before it you know it kind of falls in this like prevention education bucket of going around and traveling to schools and and presenting a uh what's essentially kind of a, a story that i've the experiences i've been through kind of riddled with a lot of lessons that i've learned throughout the way um i love it it's so fun it's so cool to like talk to kids and um, there have been, I've, I've had some really cool friendships and relationships come out of it. It's every school you go to, the, the guidance counselor is always like, you got to talk to this kid. And, <laughs> and some of those, some of those kids are like, now nah, my buddy. And, um, and so it's, it's a whole lot of fun.
0: What's the number one thing you want to get across to them? Because you're not necessarily talking to a room of addicts. You're talking to a room where, you know, maybe 10 kids are addicts. Uh, what, so what's, what's your, what's a broad message that can still get the recovery message across?
1: Yeah, that's the golden question, right? And, and in the end of my spiel, I kind of talk about that, which is like, you know, if you're a person that can identify with what I've been through or feel like you think the way I think, then, you know, A, you're not alone. And what's awesome about schools is that most schools, they do a really good job of providing different types of personalities within their staff and administration to, to connect with every every student. So athletic teachers connect with athletic students, arts and science teachers connect with arts and science teachers. And I had those people in my life, and I did not lean on them for guidance and support. and But I could have. And so that's kind of my my challenge to, to folks. And then, for folks that don't think the way I think and will never never struggle the way I struggle, then there's no reason we can't try to be better people. and And I have there's an exercise that I went through that I talk about um, in in making a commitment to a single task and performing it each day and allowing that to break habits and be a better person. Um, and so I kind of throw that challenge at the group too. And, uh, and so overall, I think the message is just like, you know, regardless of where people are, what they struggle with, where they've been to, what, what the future looks like, you know, there is, I, everyone wants to be happy. And, and my pathway has been a proven process of recovery. And there's components of that, that that don't need to work, that can work for folks that have no experience with that. And it's just honest, honesty, integrity, and, and committing to something, being accountable, responsibility. Um, and despite all that said, then mistakes still get made by me and, and everyone in the world.
0: Taking it easy on yourself, I think, in life for anybody is such a huge deal to have to, to bring that perspective into, into your everyday life, which is, which is the ultimate gift, right? I mean, that's sometimes the hardest part of, of life in general is to not take yourself too seriously and enjoy the ride.
1: Yeah, 100%. I certainly can get caught up in that.
0: So one thing I want to ask you before I let you go, we're, we're winding down here. What is it like for you? As somebody who got sober at a young age, and now you're helping and watching these young kids get sober, I mean, what what do you get from that?
1: It, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of fun, right? Like it, I'm so lucky to be able to blend like something I'm passionate in, which is recovery, into a into a career, and so I love that aspect of my life, and 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 it's it's fulfilling, right? It's cool to, it 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 coincides with the principles of our process of. Giving back and doing the right thing. I think, you know, for me, it's important to separate uh, my my own personal recovery from the work stuff I do. Um, in looking at them as very different buckets, and and still prioritizing mine over work, because um, there's a huge part of the treatment industry where folks uh, relapse or fail because they kind of look at their job as how they stay sober um yeah i was uh, talking about that
0: i was talking with a guy about that last week or two weeks ago like uh, you hear about that drug and alcohol counselors or people who live in and work in the recovery field how you know it's just it's just as important for them and you can answer this for me or, or speak to this as it is for anybody else to take their recovery seriously
1: yeah yeah it happens too much and it's scary and and so um at work i show up i work hard i'm a big believer in like do what you say say what you do it's it's embarrassing how many folks in the treatment world don't do what you say and say what you do. So if, if folks, if people can be those providers they tend to, they tend to stand out as like good people, good process. Um, and, and that's, and I'm, you know, it's cool to have good outcomes and see people change and, and all that stuff. And then in, in personal life, like I, I still love having, you know, guys in early recovery that are younger and, and I can relate to and be around and all the above, but I also have a lot of friends in recovery that are like, older guys and, and, you know, big sober golf league. I know you're familiar with a bunch of old guys that we, we play with. And, (laughs) and, uh, and so I've got a pretty wide mix of like, uh, what my, what my, uh, what I'm exposed to through that lens,
0: you know, with these recovery houses, I mean, you really are, and I'm just going to say it like you're, you're, you're on a life-saving mission. I mean, you're saving lives. you talk about, um, you know, going to rehab, I mean, I'm sure there's a handful of people that you went to treatment with that are dead now that's my experience. And that's, that's what happens with this stuff. It, it, it will kill you. You probably see that way too often yourself, right? People losing the battle, especially now when we talk about some of the substances that are being used, you're talking about guys going out and shooting up heroin. I mean, that that's a run that doesn't last very long.
1: Yeah. I've been to too many funerals and, and unfortunately, the, it's just going to keep growing. And, you know, every couple of months I Google, you know, I look up the Facebook pages of the guys I was in treatment with and there's no activity for the last two years. And, and then you Google it with the word obituary" at the end, and there it is and so um people i people I lived with people people I went to meetings with right um and so it's the nature of of what we're dealing with and um it takes a whole system, it takes a family, it takes the willingness, it takes the individual, it takes a good process um i think I think our whole i think twelve step recovery does an unbelievable job of like welcoming in people and making it possible for. For groups that we're a part of to help new folks, um, but I think there's a big, there's a big part of the treatment world that is uh, falling short of their responsibility to do right and provide a service that they say they're providing. Um, so, hoping that can improve.
0: Dude, I'm so happy that you didn't ever talk to Dr. Phil and you gave me the exclusive. I mean, that's, <laughs> that means that he me- said
1: apparently, <laughs> apparently he said he would be really nice. But
0: um, Tim, and so so it's Synergy Houses um any anything else people need to know about you
1: no man that's it i mean it's, i appreciate the time uh and super stoked for you and everything you're going on in the podcast and it, it's is really cool man
0: tim dude i appreciate it uh you know you taking the time uh so much and I, you know the idea is to help people that's what you're doing every day um and so coming on here hopefully we can do a little more of that man i appreciate it
1: awesome thanks pete